Come on. Hey, would you help me welcome all of our first-time guests? We're so glad to have you with us today, whether you are online or right here in the room. Yeah, that is exciting. I feel a little like a dad on Christmas morning. You've had your best presence hidden in the closet. You get to show it to everybody. Woo, come on. I don't know about you. I wish we could be worshiping in that building next week. Y'all with me on that one? But you know why we can't, right? Takes a little bit of time and just a little bit of money as well. And that brings us, of course, to our new series that we're kicking off today called Beyond. And uh, I want to make sure you understand this is much more than just a message series. This is a journey that we're going to take together as a church family for the next six weeks. It is going to include the weekend messages, but it's also going to include life groups. And this is important. All of our life groups are going to center around Beyond for these next six weeks. When you go to a life group, we're going to give you one of these Beyond books that actually includes a devotional for you to have something to pray through every single day because this is more than just building a building and I'll talk more about that as we go throughout the day but it's also something that I believe God is going to do in each one of our lives individually and so I want to encourage you if you are not signed up for a beyond life group yet uh, please get into one because first of all you're not meant to do life alone and this room is all where we come to make much of God you probably won't know many people's names in here but you need to be in a smaller setting where you can talk about what God is doing in your life. And that, of course, is what we'll be doing in our Beyond groups. Now, uh, the first question that I think we need to answer is why are we calling it Beyond? And you just saw the theme verse that we're using on the screen there. And that's where the word Beyond comes from. But I, I want to preach a little point and make sure we understand something here. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly Beyond, Y'all get those four words there. Far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Now, let's just be honest for a minute. If you tried to write that in a freshman English paper and you wrote far more abundantly beyond, you'd get a red line through at least three of those words and your teacher would accuse you of just trying to hit the word count. Come on, y'all know what I'm saying. So how can the Bible get away with that? I mean, the Bible shouldn't have bad English, right? It doesn't. That is the closest we can do in the English language to convey the original Greek word behind this concept. So the definition, it's a, it's a full sentence to explain this word. It actually means considerable excess over a reasonable expectation to an extraordinary degree. Did you get that? So we start with a reasonable expectation. But this word means that then God is going to take it to considerable excess. And that that considerable excess is going to go to an extraordinary degree above what we can ask or think. Can you imagine a group of God's people, a church for instance that actually believed God could do more in and through them than they could ever imagine with considerable excess to an extraordinary degree? I mean, can I just make this practical for a second? I just showed you pictures of what we can imagine. We just saw that in five years, God could bring 949 people into the kingdom through our worship services. So I could ask God for another 949 people. I could ask God for the building I could imagine but then God can do considerable excess to an extraordinary degree. That's what this is about. But it's also about 
Can you imagine if each individual person in that church believed the same for their own lives? Think about what you could do in your time upon the earth to bring glory to God. You got your best idea? And then what if God showed up and did considerable excess to an extraordinary degree? And then someday at 90 or 95, you're going to look back and go, I could have never imagined this much. Take what you can imagine right now. So that is, of course, the whole idea behind the series. Our goal is to help every single one of you go beyond where you are in your own lives. Because I can tell you this, God has more for you than you are living right now. God has more for you. He wants you to be closer to him. God wants you to have a greater impact in this world. And God wants you to have deeper fulfillment in your life. So one of the goals of this series is to help every single one of us go beyond where we are today personally. But yes, as you have figured out, it is also our goal to go beyond where we are as a church and to have a greater impact in this world by making more room to reach more people. Anybody with me on that one? Some of you may want to say, well, why do we need to do that? Do we, do we just want a bigger room? And I would say, well, can we just take a moment and celebrate what God is currently doing at Grace Life? The last, no, I'm going to tell you before you clap. I'm glad you want to clap, but I want to tell you what God is doing. Our last three weekends have been our three record highest attendance weekends in all of our time. Matter of fact, we had to do it again this week if you're looking around the room. We have to add seats during the worship service. We're starting to use an overflow room, and we're also planning our new service times that will begin. Well, it'll, it'll just come. I'll just wait and tell you about that because we're going to have to add another service as well. And the best part, 32 people gave their lives to Jesus last month alone through worship services here at Grace Life. Now, if you're a guest, we're not patting ourselves on the back and trying to make much of Grace Life. That's not the point. I actually, I wish and I hope and pray that God would be doing that in every single church here in our city. Wouldn't that be awesome? It's not about making much of us, but it is about the fact that if God is moving in a church that way, the people in that church become responsible to steward what God is doing in that church. And that is why we need to make more room to reach more people. By the way, my goal over the next six weeks is to see if I can make you sick of hearing those words, to make more room to reach more people. I hope that the desire to reach people will keep it from happening. I hope you just, I want to hear them again. I want to hear them again. That's what we are going to do. So look, yes, it is a campaign to raise money to expand and build so that we can make more room to reach more people. But if you're a guest here today or you're so new to Grace Life, you're not even sure if Grace Life is your church, relax. You do not have to go away for six weeks. Because I can promise you that the messages and what we're going to be talking about will change your life personally because that, of course, is also the goal. And so what I want and hope for each of you is that you will learn how to go beyond where you are to what God has for you in his vision for your life. So let's get started, everybody. You ready? All right, first of all, I want to tell you, I think I'm incredibly blessed in life. I have a wife that still loves me after 27 and a half years. And for those of you that know me, you laugh at that. I have four kids that all say they love me. I have a job that I love. I have a lot of dark chocolate at home and in my office. Matter of fact, just about anywhere I go, 
Good dark chocolate too, by the way. And uh, I took up a new hobby this year. I learned to go sailing, and, and I love sailing. I even got my first little sailboat. Uh, I bought a cheap one, so it leaks a little bit. It has a few problems, but I love getting out on the water and enjoying the wind because, you know, you can't sail if God doesn't show up. And, and it just reminds me of that all the time. But none of that is why I say I'm blessed. I think the main reason I am blessed is because I believe that I know God's vision for my life. And I can say that I am living that out every day. The problem is that not everybody can say that. Matter of fact, I don't want you to raise your hands for this, but do you believe that you know God's vision for your life? and you're living that out every day. There are some who would say, I don't know. Let me ask you this, do you wake up every day believing you'll actually make a difference in this world today? Do you wake up every day with excitement, maybe even a passion to do what you get to do? Do you go to bed every night feeling fulfilled for what you did that day? I think saying yes to those questions starts with having God's vision for your life. I think we all need to get God's vision for our lives. Let's talk about vision for a minute. The most famous verse in the Bible, most likely, about vision is out of Proverbs 29 that says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. And the word unrestrained is referring to how, how people go without God's word or God's plan, they just are unrestrained in life. They might be unrestrained morally. They might be unrestrained with regard to purpose. They're just kind of wandering. Let me, let me give you a picture. If you could imagine someone driving down the highway, but they couldn't see the lines on the road, they would drive very unrestrained. If you've driven around Columbia lately, some of you would, I've seen those people. But th they would just be all over the place. They would be a danger to themselves. They'd be a danger to others. And don't miss this point they might not get where they intended to go. There's another version that says it this way. When people cannot see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. And that describes a lot of people in our world today. Maybe a few of us here at the moment. If you were to ask most people, what, what do you live for? What do you think God created you to accomplish in your time on the earth? What do you want your life to be like in 10 years? A lot of people would simply say, I don't know. And as a result of that, many people on the earth today simply live to exist. Live to exist. Get a job because you got to pay bills. But you look forward to the weekend so you can have a short break from the job that you've got to go back to next week so you can pay more bills next week. So the week after that, you can go back to that job so that you can pay more bills that next week. But eventually, you are going to get to take a vacation and you get away from the job for a whole week. But after the week, you'll go back to the job because you'll have to go back to paying the bills. And you will do that week after week, month after month, year after year, until, yeah, you get to retire and take up golf until you go to heaven. I can promise you, God's got a better vision for your life than that. God's got a better vision for your life than that. If you wake up every day saying, I hate my job, I don't want to go to work, then this series is for you because we need to get God's vision for our lives.
As we're going to talk about vision, I think one of the first things we need is a definition. And one of the best definitions I've ever heard, very simply, is vision is a clear picture of a preferred future. Vision is a clear picture of a preferred future. And there are two important words there, clear, because you can't hit something that's fuzzy or blurry. You've got to know exactly what it looks like so that you can aim clearly at it. And then the word preferred. Look, if you don't die today, you have a future. But it might not be a preferred one. Most of all, it might not be the one God prefers for you. Here's the truth you need to know. God has a purpose for your life. He created you with very unique talents and skills for a very specific calling. The Bible says we are God's workmanship, created for good works in Christ Jesus. We're not just humans that are supposed to have a job to pay the bills. But to achieve this specific calling and this purpose God has for you, you are going to need God's vision for your life. You may have some plans, and you may have some dreams, but you may not have God's vision for your lives. So what I hope this series will do for you is to help you discover God's vision and to actually begin to walk in that fully. That's what we're going to do for six weeks. For six weeks, we're going to take one step forward each week in discovering God's vision and how we can live that out fully. And so today, we're simply going to start with the question, how do I know the difference between God's vision for me? When God was making me, when God was creating me, and he had a plan, what's the difference between God's vision for my life and maybe the ones I have for my life, my own plans or my own dreams? And so today, I'm going to give you three principles to help you distinguish and discern between those two things, God's vision and your best ideas. The first principle is this, God's vision for my life is bigger than me. God's vision for my life is bigger than me, meaning I can't do it in my own strength. I can't do it on my own. I can't do it if I absolutely did my very best. There are a lot of well-meaning, good-intentioned people that'll say, well, if I give it my all and do my best, here's what I think God can do through me. And yet that is still not what God has in mind. That's what you have in mind. God wants to do more in and through you than if you did your best on your own. Matter of fact, one of the best stories in all of the Bible to convey the idea of God giving you a vision that is bigger and better than what you could do even if you did your best is the story of a guy named Abraham. And as we start with his story, as we're going to look at it throughout the series, as we start with it today, he's actually still named Abram. God's going to change his name over time, but let me show this to you. In Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house. Leave it all. Go to the land that I will show you. I've got something else for you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. A little later in the story, God comes to him. says, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you could. Number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. That's a big vision. That's a big vision. It's bigger than Abraham could do no matter how hard he tried. You know why? Because when God spoke to this to him, he was 75 years old. His wife was equally old and beyond childbearing years. And on top of that, she had been barren her whole life even before that. And God shows up, 
to a man who is 75 years old with an old barren wife with no kids. That's a big vision. That's not a plan Abraham had for himself. It's not even a dream Abraham had for himself. It might have been a dream when he was young, but that dream has died. But God shows up with a vision that he can't do on his own. And that's the first thing that we need to understand. Quite often, God is going to put us through circumstances that make us depend upon him, where we can't succeed if we do not depend upon him. Matter of fact, that is the first ingredient of the difference between God's vision and your plans. You can do your plans. But for God's vision, you will find yourself on your knees screaming, God, believing it's over and there is no way forward and you're on the wrong path. If you have not, matter of fact, let me just say it this way. If you are just trucking along in life, doing really well and happy with the way everything is going, and you have not found yourself on your knees, crying out to God, believing there is no way forward, then you are living your best dreams. Because God's vision is bigger than that. And God is going to bring you to your knees to depend upon him. Unfortunately, many of us, when we run into these difficult circumstances that God allows or brings into our lives to cause us to turn to him, we just believe we've made a wrong move and we give up. We think this can't be God's vision. There's hardship here. But there's not a story of a single person in the Bible that tried to live God's vision that didn't run into hardship. Jesus came to redeem the people. And yet, they didn't welcome him. They made fun of him. They called him a drunkard and a sinner, and eventually they crucified him. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Paul had a thorn in his flesh that he wished would go away because it hindered the ministry that he was trying to do. And poor Moses couldn't even talk. He had to keep his big brother around. Hey, Aaron, I need you to talk for me. Everybody in the Bible, every story that you go and find, people had to depend upon God to accomplish what God had called them to do. Matter of fact, you need to know this. There is no promise in the Bible that God's vision for your life will be easy. It's not there. If you try to find the one that says, if I'm doing what God intended, it's just going to all work out great. No, it's not. Because God wants you to depend upon him. Remember our theme verse? To him who is able to do more than you can imagine. Not you. To him who is able to do more. And he's going to bring you to a point of having to cry out to him. The second principle to help us discern God's vision from our own dreams is that God's vision is not just for me. God's vision is not just for me. Your plans are probably just for you. And when I say for you, might include your children or grandchildren, but basically just you and yours. God's vision is always about impacting somebody else's life for his glory. Matter of fact, that's the difference between a Christian life and a non-Christian life. Because the minute you become a Christian, you realize Jesus' whole purpose on the earth was for everyone else. It was for everyone else. He came to live and to die for you and me. And when we say, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, we, we then step into that same calling that my life has to make a difference for God's glory for someone else. Look, you can do some civic good and you can do a kind thing. You may be able to provide a meal for a homeless person or, or to help someone when their car is broken down. You can do a few nice things, but you cannot change somebody's life for God's glory unless it's God's vision for you. We are actually created and called to make a difference in this world 
for his kingdom. Remember what God told Abraham? Let's go back. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you so that, wait a minute, there's a reason other than just, you you didn't want to just come and make my life great, God? No. So that you will be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's think about this in context. This is Genesis chapter 12. We're, we're way back near the beginning. You know, there was a time Adam and Eve walked in the garden in the cool of the day. They had some understanding of God, but then sin entered the world, and we very quickly discover people have lost their way. Later in history, a guy named Moses will come along, and Moses will actually say, Hey, God, who are you? What's your name? Who should I tell them sent me? We're looking at Abraham, way before Moses. Very early on. And Abraham is living basically upon a pagan earth, surrounded by pagan cultures. No one has any idea of the God of the Bible, the God in heaven and what he wants. And so God comes to Abraham. He couldn't make this up on his own because he really has no point of reference. And God comes to Abraham. He's pretty happy just kind of chilling out, living life, doesn't know any better. And God says, through you. Through you, I'm going to create a people. I'm going to have a people upon the earth. They're going to be known as the people of God. Some will call them the nation of Israel. They'll actually be known as the Jewish people. And that'll be great for them. But it's not just for you and them. It's actually for what I'm going to do through you. Do you know the greatest verse in all of the Bible to be fulfilled through one of Abraham's descendants? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Remember what God told Abraham? In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What was that blessing? That they could be reconciled to God and made right, forgiven for their sins and have eternal life. When God had a vision for Abraham, it wasn't just so that he could be rich or have a piece of dirt on the earth. It was so that he could change the world through him. And if the vision that you are living for your life will change the world for the glory of God, then it's God's vision for your life. Matter of fact, I think we all need to ask as we get up tomorrow and we head off to work or to start a project or to dream big or whatever it is you're doing, ask one question. If I achieve this, will it change the world for God's glory? Will it change anybody's life for God's glory? And if the answer is no, then you're just living out your best ideas. Third principle of knowing the difference between God's vision and our own plans is that God's vision for my life is compelling. God's vision for my life is compelling. Compelling means you can't put it down. You are compelled to do it. There is no way to get away from it. It stays there. stays in front of you and you have to chase it. I think we've all had some ideas that were inspiring for a bit. You're like, hey, I think I'm going to do this, or I'm going to start this for a little while. And then after a while, well, you just kind of give it up. Or you start doing some research on the internet and find out how hard it is, and so you give it up. If you're a parent, you've had a kid who one day wanted to be a fireman, and the next week a policeman, and the next week a veterinarian, and then 20 more ideas before they ever got to college to figure out what they were going to major in. And then they changed that seven times over those four years, right? Look, your ideas fade, die, and change. 
But God's vision, it burns in your soul. It becomes a, a passion you can't get away from. I told you I got my little sailboat and I took up my new hobby of sailing this year. And since we don't live near the ocean, I, I decided I was going to sail over on Lake Murray. And so I, I needed a place to keep my boat and I needed to hang out with some sailors. There's a club there called Lake Murray Sailing Club, but I had to join. So I went for an interview with the, uh, I believe, president. I guess that's who he was. And it was a rather uh, pleasant, maybe-ish, 80-year-old man who had been sailing since he was 10. That's 70 years in the wind and the sun. And he came across as a man who had been in the wind and the sun about 70 years. And, and he looked at me and he said, so young man, why do you want to join the sailing club? And I said, well, I'm a pastor and I don't play golf or hunt. So I'm looking for a hobby on my day off. And he says to me, selling is not a hobby, it's a passion. Okay, I'd like a passion for every Friday afternoon. <laughs> In all seriousness, my daughter and I went out sailing about a week ago. It was on a Saturday and was predicted to have huge storms all day long, but, well, just wanted to go sailing. We thought we could outrun the storms, and, well, the truth is I've taken showers and been drier. <laughs> absolutely dumped on us. It, 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 neither of us were prepared for it. We were soaking wet. We put the boat on the dock and we go. And as we're going back to the car, they are all lined up with their boats ready to go out. Who would go sailing in a storm where you could be struck by lightning and wetter in the boat than if you just jumped in the lake? People with a passion. <laughs> and when God puts something right here, you can't put it down. You can't. Even if you try, even if you go through some of those hard times, even if it feels like things are just dying down and, and maybe it doesn't burn as bright every other day. You know, I was a Boy Scout and we would go camping. We would start a campfire at night so you had some light, you have something to sit around and talk to, but also it would keep you warm. But then you'd have to get into your sleeping bag. And after you would wake up in the morning, you'd have to get out of your warm sleeping bag. Everything would be cold. So we'd always assign one kid that had to stay awake or at least wake up every so often to throw a log on the fire. Make sure we've got a fire for breakfast. But in Boy Scouts, you're not allowed to shoot anybody. So those kids never stayed awake in my experience. They would, they would go to sleep. And you'd wake up in the morning and there was never a fire. And you'd look at that little campfire pit see the coals and nothing else, but there would be this one little puff of smoke that just kept coming. And you discover, in Boy Scouts, that all you've got to do is get down close to that fire and just breathe on it just a little. And then a flame ignites and you can throw some more wood on that fire and you have a fire for breakfast. My point is you're going to go through some difficulties. You're going to go through some challenges. You're even going to wonder if the fire has stopped burning. And then the Holy Spirit will show up and just breathe a little bit. And then it comes back to life. See, your ideas actually will die. But God's vision for you, uh-uh, it compels you. It's the only thing you can live for. It's the only thing you can do. And you know that nothing else will ever be enough to satisfy. Except seeing God's vision for your life, what he created you to do, come to pass. Matter of fact, the New Testament tells us about Abraham says, in hope, he believed against hope. What does that phrase even mean? It means he hoped when he had no reason for hope. But he kept hoping, even when there was no hope. 
that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told because God said, so shall your offspring be. How can he have hope when there is no hope? What does that even mean? Well, again, I already told you, he was 75 when God came to him. His wife was too old to have kids and she couldn't have them even when she was young. And God comes and says, I'm going to do this. But here's what you need to know about the story I didn't tell you. God didn't fulfill it the next week or the next month or even that year or the next year or the year after that. God comes to a 75-year-old man with a wife who is barren and beyond age and gives him a vision but doesn't fulfill it for 25 years. For 25 years, Abraham said, but God told me. And see, here's why you need to understand this. It wasn't his dream. He was happy. As far as we know, he was living with his father, living in his father's land. He had probably come to grips by the age of 75 with the idea he wasn't going to have his own kids, but he was doing well. He never even knew who this God was. Again, he was living on a pagan land. He didn't know what he was missing out on. So he didn't have a dream to become the father of nations. He didn't have the idea or the plan. But God lit a fire. And for 25 years, until he was 100 years old, that fire burned. In hope, when there was no hope, he still hoped because it was a vision from God. In your Beyond Groups this week, and again, I, I do hope you get into a group. Don't do life alone. Talk about what God's doing in your life. But in our Beyond Groups this week, we're going to begin talking about how to get our current lives, the one that you're going to wake up to tomorrow, in line with God's vision. Some of us might be a direction change. Some of us, we may have to just start from the beginning. This may be like a light bulb. Wait a minute, you mean God didn't just create me and say, enjoy yourself, I'll see you in a few years? You mean God actually made me to change things upon the earth? Yeah. Yeah. And so, here's our takeaway for today, everybody. A person whose life is centered on God's vision will be intentional and sacrificial toward that vision. Y'all get that? A person whose life is centered on God's vision will be intentional and sacrificial toward that vision. And as a result, their life will be fruitful and fulfilling. Who wants that to be their life? And likewise, a church that is centered around a clear vision from God will also be intentional and sacrificial toward that vision. And as a result, will be impactful and powerful by changing lives. Who wants that to be their church? Well, right now, at least at Grace Life, we are blessed for that to be our story. So one of the things that I'm going to do throughout this series is share with you a story of what God is doing in someone's life each week. If you would, take a look at the screen. I'm John Wright. I'm Amy. And we've been going to Grace Life since January of 2019. 2015, I started having stomach issues. It got to the point where we couldn't figure out what was going on. And I started dropping weight really fast and staying sick. I got to a place where I, I was in and out of the hospital because they couldn't figure out what was going on. And so once we got a diagnosis, they started medicine. A lot of it. Within a year, 
I was on 13 medications eight times a day. We had to step back from everything, and I transitioned to a dark place, a dark, scary place. I put my family and my kids and my relationship with the Lord and everything in the dark hole with me. In that process, there was a lot of hurt and a lot of betrayal, but John kept trusting that God was going to hold fast to what we were walking through. And I didn't. I didn't. I gave up. Because of the hurt, I was scared to be in atmospheres where there were lots of people. I didn't trust people. I didn't want to be around people. When I started going to Grace Life, John had signed us up to do a Bible study with Mike and Sharon. And we did that. And it was very nervous for me to go. And, and I went. That was first, your first kind of step out of your comfort zone to reopen yourself up to people. That was the door that God opened for me. I, I felt safe. And it had been a long time since I had felt safe in a big atmosphere, much less a church atmosphere. I'm thankful that Grace Life has people that do love people. Being at Grace Life was instrumental for us to be able to rebuild what the enemy tried to tear apart. We started in the back row, slowly worked our way towards the front. We were always front row people, and it's like I'm never going back to the front row. Now we found our home on the second row right behind the Salazars, and yeah. we love it. vision as a church to go beyond is more than just a good idea. I believe it is God's vision for us. And the reason I can say that is because it fits all three principles that we talked about today. First of all, it's bigger than me. It's more than I can afford. It's more than you can afford. It's more than we can afford together. But we all have faith in what God can do through us. Well, that's a different thing. And it's going to bring more people than I can personally pray for or disciple. Again, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take what God can do through us that would blow our minds. It's also not just for me or you. You may have noticed you already have a seat. You hopefully already have a life group. And you most hopefully already know Jesus is your king and you're going to heaven. Nope, it's not just for you and me. It's for all the people who aren't here yet. It's for the people who don't have a seat. It's for the people who don't know who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And it's compelling. Can't let it go. We started praying about this right before COVID hit. We had doubled in size just in a little over a year when we moved into this building that I thought I could kind of sit back and relax in for a very long time. I didn't want to do a building campaign and I didn't want to build another building. It's a lot of work. It's a little bit of stress. And I, God, I don't really want to do this again. We just finished doing that. But all through COVID, we kept growing. God kept sending people. People kept getting saved. We kept adding services. And God wouldn't let the vision die. 
And so we started planning seriously for this moment today uh, over a year ago. Kind of been hiding the Christmas presents in the closet, so to speak. But I would share the vision with people along the way. And every time I did, the response was the same. We can't not do it. I don't think that's good English, but it is a vision that's compelling. When every one of us sees what God is doing here, we all say we can't not make more room to reach more people. It's the only option. And so if you do consider Grace Life your home church, if you consider Grace Life your family, then I've got a homework assignment for you starting today. And that is to simply ask God a question this week. Ask God, what might you be calling me to do or to give to be part of making room to reach more people? Will you ask God that? Let me pray for us. God, we do thank you that you gave us lives with meaning. So grateful that you didn't just create us and tell us to enjoy our time wandering about the earth but you gave us something to do that makes an eternal difference, that is fulfilling, a fire that burns within. God, my prayer for every single person here right now is that they will discover the vision that you created them to live. God, that you would enable each of us to do a great work for your glory. And God, we pray that as well over us as a church. God, we wanna do more than have our own little club and pat ourselves on the back. We thank you for 949 salvations in the last five years, and we ask you to go far more abundantly beyond as we make room. But God, we admit we can't do any of this apart from you. So we invite you to come and have your way in our own lives, in our own hearts, and definitely in this church. We thank you for the privilege of making a difference your kingdom. If you're just in a place of prayer, I want to take a moment and speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. The truth is every one of us has done something that is not perfectly holy. The Bible simply calls that sin. We've either had a thought that was different from God's thoughts or done something or acted in a way or had an attitude that was different from God. He's holy and we're not. The good news is that God loves us so much that he chose to fix that for us. He sent his son Jesus to live on the earth, to live a perfect life, so that when he was crucified, when his body was broken and his blood was shed, it could pay for your sins and mine because he had none of his own. He would reconcile us to God, give us forgiveness, and by the same power that raised him from the dead, he offers us eternal life. We call this the free gift of salvation. But if you've never received this gift, I want to help you do that right now. Wherever you are, simply pray and say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?